Alright, my friends, welcome to the Rise to the Top Uncensored, Uncut, Unconventional Interviews with Successful Entrepreneurs. I'm David Sight McGarland. Welcome to the show, my friends. You're in, we're in for a party. As always, you know it's going to be a party. So on today's episode, Roger Dooley is in the house to teach us some lessons from his new book, Brainfluence, 100 Ways to Persuade and Convince Customers with Neuro marketing it's gonna be a good one so all right before we get started though gotta give some love to our sponsor go to my pc buy citrix online so you know did you know did you know the more you, i feel like we're an infomercial here did you know uh anywho <laughs> did you know that uh you can access now by using go to my pc and their new apps for iphone and ipad right you can access your home computer from anywhere, from your iPad, from your phone, from you know laptops, whatever you want to do. You can access all your files when you're on the go, no matter where you are. So if you want to try it for free, here's what you got to do. Try out the iPad app. You know, Download it at the store. I use it all the time. Uh, it, it's really, really easy to use. Download the iPad app. It's free. Then go over to gotomypc.com. Click the Try It Free button and the promo code RISE. And you're going to get 45 days on me, and you're also going to be supporting the show. So double win right there. It's go to mypc.com, click the Try It Free button, enter the promo code RISE. And also, by the way, quick reminder on this, if you go to the risetop.com slash VIP, make sure to get on that list. That's the VIP email list. For the Rise to the Top, you're going to get extra commentary from me. You're going to hear about episodes first. You're going to hear about other cool stuff first, exclusive opportunities, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely free, risetop.com slash VIP. All right, so let's talk about today's episode. Hope all is well with you. I hope things are fantastically amazing. Yeah, all that kind of jazz. So, all right, let's talk about it. So today, Roger Dooley is in the house. Roger Dooley, interesting guy to say the least. He's a big... Big thinking guy. I mean, you might want to grab your pipe and grab your Hugh Hefner jacket and kind of sit back and on your pipe because today's episode, it's high class. We're going right there. So here's the deal. Roger uh, is obsessed in a good way with how the brain works and how neuromarketing works. And what we mean by neuromarketing is basically the concept of things that are unconscious, you know, not things that we can recall in a survey or anything like that, but things that are unconscious. So he's here today. He's got a great book called Brainfluence. And we picked out some of the key lessons in the book to talk about that you can apply for your business, for your brand. No matter what your business is, there's ways that you can tap in your customer's unconscious. And we're not talking about like men in black style here. We're talking about, you know, really, really doing this uh, the right way. So without further ado, here is the conversation with Roger Dooley on The Rise to Top. Enjoy. All right. Well, welcome everyone to The Rise to Top. And I'm joined today by Roger Dooley, who is the author among many other things, of Brainfluence, 100 Ways to Convince Consumers with Neuromarketing. Roger, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Great to be here, David. And, you know, I got to tell you, Roger, this is awesome. I mean, I, I read the book, and there were so many great tips. I knew that I had to get, out, get you on there so we can kind of teach some people a little bit about, um, you know, neuromarketing and how to go right into their customer's brain here uh, to, of course, sell more things and, and do better in business. But before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your background. I know that you, you've got a very interesting background here and I don't want to spoil it. So can you tell us just a little bit about um, you know, your background and how you kind of got to this point where this became a subject matter that you were very interested in? 
Yeah, I'm going to have to condense that. Uh, I've been around for long enough that I could probably take up the uh, whole time period uh, talking about stuff that I've done, but uh, not that it's all that interesting. Hey, no, we want to know. That's what we want to know here. No, actually, uh, by education, uh, I'm an engineer, a chemical engineer of all things, but I uh, picked up a business degree along the way. And uh, even back uh, in engineering school, when I was supposed to be in the library studying uh, transport phenomena and obscure things like that, uh, I found myself uh, going over uh, uh, to the periodical section and reading Advertising Age, because even huh. then, uh, both advertising and psychology really interested me. And, and that was a dormant interest for years. Uh, I gradually moved away from engineering and more into uh, management and strategic planning. Uh, and uh, back uh, in the early 80s, uh, completely got out of the corporate world to found a direct marketing mail order company. We were one of the early uh, mm. companies serving the uh, Texas Instruments home computer marketplace. And uh, just, in fact, uh, uh, exchanged a couple of emails with Mark Cuban and uh, found he may have been one of my early customers because I was reading his book and found that his start was in the TI-994A uh, as well. So, you tell Mark, by the way, that he owes me an email. We, Mark and I go back and forth on email for three years, by the way. And one day, we're finally going to schedule him to get him on here. So you tell him. You tell him that I'm going to hunt him down. Don't make me come down to Texas. I'm not sure that he'll listen to me, but I'll do my best. David. Right, right, right. In any so, case, uh, and that's that's really what uh, launched my interest in uh, uh, marketing and the science of marketing because direct marketing is a very um, uh, quantitative business. Uh, it's the one area of marketing historically uh, where you could actually tell what worked and what didn't as opposed to sort of throwing stuff against the wall and hoping that you sold something. Uh, so uh, that uh, that progressed uh, for a while and got uh, uh, a few uh, twists and turns along the way, got into the uh, internet uh, uh, in varying ways, started a website called uh, College Confidential with a couple of uh, co-founders uh, uh, back uh, in 2001, uh, and that has now grown uh, to be the biggest college-bound website. Uh, last year, we passed collegeboard.com as the busiest website in the space. Wow. Uh, I actually sold that business in uh, uh, 08, but uh, I'm still uh, engaged with the community there uh, and with the acquiring company. Oh, very cool. Uh, so, well, that, that sounds like a whole other interview right there. Oh, yeah, yeah know, that, that, that's, that's a fun one, too. But in any case, uh, 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 back, uh, uh, oh, I don't know, in the um, uh, first decade of this millennium, uh, I... Uh, uh, thought that the time had come to look at uh, neuroscience and marketing because I saw everything that was going on in neuroscience and the people were just beginning to talk about uh, various uh, technical techniques for um, uh, looking inside the brain to see how people might respond to uh, advertising and other marketing uh, content. So uh, I began writing about that uh, uh, and uh, that led uh, directly to my uh, book, uh, Brainfluence. And uh, part of my thought initially, I began to write sort of a, a big picture book about uh, neuroscience and the brain mm -hmm. and uh, uh, how uh, uh, that could be used uh, by marketers. And uh, yeah, I was really having difficulty getting going with that concept. And then finally, I had uh, this. Uh, uh, sort of a vision of a totally different approach uh, and took the uh, 100 practical idea approach because uh, partly it was feedback from my blog. I write a blog called Neuromarketing uh, and the stuff that people responded to uh, there wasn't uh, about um, uh, fMRI scans uh, uh, and how somebody's amygdala lit up, but it's about, hey, here's, <laughs> here's news that I can use. Uh, there's a technique that I can employ today. 
And so uh, that's what I ended up uh, uh, doing. And once, once I had that concept for the book, it flowed very quickly. It, uh, um, it took about uh, probably uh, three months uh, uh, to the final draft, uh, which was a, a real crunch, but uh, it got it done. Nice. And very cool. And I like the approach, too. I mean, because I think there's, you know, different books serve different purposes. And I think that from a business owner, entrepreneurial standpoint, I really liked how you could just jump right into the tips and we didn't need to know, you know, a ton of scientific background. So I thought something cool that we could go into today was I picked out some of my favorite ones um, from the book and we can kind of get into get into a detail and teach some folks um, how they can really be tapping into their customer's brain. And I thought an interesting first thing to think about um, just give us, can you give us a very, very brief definition for people that this is brand new, that the concept of neuromarketing is something that maybe they haven't heard before. Can you just give us the, your sort of textbook um, definition for entrepreneurs and marketers trying to get their head around this concept? Sure. Um, the, uh, my definition of neuromarketing is fairly broad and uh, basically uh, it's saying that any use of uh, our understanding of how the brain works to improve your marketing. Uh, there are some folks who use a tighter definition that en encompass mainly uh, specific technologies that involve uh, measuring brain activity uh, related to marketing. So things like EEG, fMRI, and so on. All right, got it. And, and also you mentioned that one of the biggest mistakes that people make when selling a product or service is that you talk about how good the product and service is, right? You talk about kind of the, the features and benefits type thing. And you said um, that that only serves 5% of people. 5% of people like that, but 95%, it doesn't necessarily, what, engage their brain? Or, or what, what, did you, what are those other 95%? Well, okay, I think um, uh, probably uh, what you're referring to is the concept that about 95% of our decision-making is subconscious. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, the uh, the very common metaphor uh, that uh, has been in use, I think, since the 1930s uh, has been the iceberg uh, uh, with uh, this little bit above the surface that you can see and then this big mass below the surface. And it's, it's a pretty good analogy for how our brains work and how we decide things. Uh, I, I wouldn't entirely discount features and benefits, but uh, I think if you focus exclusively on uh, features and benefits, uh, then uh, you're not appealing to the emotional aspects and, and some of the subconscious uh, influences that can really be very potent. Uh, uh, I, I think um, uh, a great, well, I'll, I'll skip the example unless you want me to go into that. No, but I, no I, I would love exactly, because that's oh. definitely what we're going to do anyway, is we're going to hop into some, some concepts and then I'm going to pick your brain on an example that maybe you've experienced in, in your career or, or you know something like that. So yeah, go ahead. Well, I, th I think a, a great example of this uh, comes from an actual uh, real-world test run by a South African bank where they were evaluating loan offers uh, in a big direct marketing campaign. And uh, you would think that a loan is a very cut-and-dry kind of product. Uh, there's an amount, there's an interest rate, you have to qualify, and so on. Uh, not necessarily a lot of uh, subconscious influences there. Uh, what they found was that, in, uh, at least for their uh, male recipients uh, versus female, uh, they uh, were. They found that including a photo of an attractive woman uh, in the, is part of the offer. Who might have been perhaps uh, uh, illustrating a banker or a customer service rep or something uh, was had the exact same lift uh, on response rate or conversion rate uh, as 
uh, in an interest rate that was four points lower. Uh, no so, way. Uh, and I mean, that, that sounds uh, amazing to me because I just went through uh, a whole lengthy process to save uh, about nine-tenths of a point in my mortgage. Uh, but uh, just this uh, subconscious influence, the other, otherwise the offers were the same, uh, was, was very potent. And that's, that's the sort of uh, stuff that I like to get into in, uh, in brain influence because uh, if we ignore those factors, uh, we're really uh, not maximizing our conversion rate. We're leaving money on the table. Yeah, I mean, because because you're thinking about that, I'm thinking, okay, most people are going to look at it and say, okay, here's money versus money, but you're saying that that woman came in and influenced us. It's very, very, very interesting how that works. Now, I picked out a few of my favorite. I mean, there's a hundred ideas in here. I just picked out a few that I thought would be kind of cool to talk about here, and maybe, and I love that example you just gave as well. One of my favorite concepts, and you could explain this to us, is you said, don't sell like a sushi chef. You said, don't sell like a sushi chef. So how does a sushi chef, that's a mouthful, sushi chef uh, sell, and how do we not sell like a sushi chef? Yeah, you would, you would pick the real tongue twister of a topic. Why uh, wouldn't uh, I? Just trying to uh, challenge ourselves here on the show. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, actually, this is an, uh, an area where the sort of hard neuroscience uh, ties in directly to uh, the sort of uh, uh, softer behavioral aspects. Uh, uh, one thing that uh, they found through fMRI scans and uh, uh, MRI machines, I'm sure uh, uh, you and your audience have seen uh, these uh, big bulky uh, tubes uh, that cost millions of dollars that you slide into and they produce uh, 3D imagery. Uh, fMRI is an even fancier kind that can measure almost in real time uh, changes in brain activity. Cool. Uh, and what they found was that uh, they, while they presented uh, subjects with different types of uh, offers. Like, in other words, uh, would you uh, buy this uh, uh, cup of Starbucks uh, for uh, $4 or for $10? And what they found was that when people were presented uh, with a deal that they thought was unattractive, in other words, the price was too high, they thought they were being gouged, it actually lit up the pain center in their brain. Uh, and uh, the uh, one of the conclusions, uh, George Lowenstein at Carnegie Mellon, uh, uh, has done a lot of work in this area. Uh, and one of the things that he noted was that uh, when you repeatedly charge people for extras, uh, that lights up their uh, pain center more and, and more uh, frequently. Uh, and uh, that's, I think, why people react, for example, uh, so negatively to things like uh, baggage surcharges on airlines mm -hmm. when suddenly you get to the airport and you've already paid your ticket and now you've got to uh, shell out another 25 bucks for uh, your bag and oh if you want a sandwich uh, that's eight dollars and, and so on uh, that's the sort of sushi approach of pay as you go in other words for each item you consume you pay separately uh, if you want to appeal to people's brains it's uh, much uh, less painful to give them one price that hopefully doesn't appear to be uh, outrageous uh, and then be done with it. And you won't keep uh, hitting that pain point for the consumer. Got it. So, so it's like another way of sort of saying that for um, sort of like a, it, it, we don't really like to be nickel and dimed. Is that, is that kind of where that yes, phrase yes, sort of came? Because like I, I know that as well. I think a lot of people can relate to that where you're like, oh, I'm being nickel and dimed. You know, they're adding that on. Every little thing's a little tiny charge like cable company does and stuff like that. So I, I, I get that. So you don't want to do that. What's an example from – maybe your business or your your career since you've done you know so many different things that you've seen where where you've applied that principle where maybe you 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 know went with one price or one thing that that kind of so you avoided the the sushi chef syndrome if you will 
Right. Well, I think uh, one that comes to mind that isn't necessarily something that I've, 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 have, I've been on the sales side of, but I've been on the consumer side of it, uh, is the uh, pricing for uh, uh, auto uh, accessories mm. and features uh, where uh, if, if you go to buy a, a car typically these days, uh, I remember uh, in my early days of car buying, they had an, an options list that was a mile long. Uh, you could check off every single thing from uh, a chrome ashtray to, and, and it, it was insane, uh, but the car, that's the way they built the, uh, the cars. And uh, that was, uh, and, and they all seemed to be overpriced. So if, if you were buying uh, a tire upgrade, the price would appear to be uh, twice what you'd pay if you bought just brand new tires at a, uh, at a tire dealer. So there were a lot of pain points in that process. Uh, now, typically, if you buy um, uh, any car, particularly luxury cars, what you find is they've packaged these things. So you get the leather seats, the moon roof, the, uh, some additional power options, and so on. Uh, and it's all part of one package that costs you $4,000. Uh, and uh, that does two things. First of all, it, it minimizes those incremental pain points. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, uh, it makes it much tougher to evaluate whether... Uh, a particular item is underpriced or overpriced. You can't really tell uh, if the uh, uh, better tires are part of this big uh, performance package, uh, whether that's a reasonable price or not, because you don't you don't know what they're costing versus what the wheels are costing versus what the suspension modification is costing. Right. So I, th I think that's a great example of how uh, car makers can earn uh, fairly high margins uh, on selling these accessories. Uh, but at the same time, minimize that negative pain reaction from the consumer. Yeah, I've noticed that as well. Like when you go in, there's usually like kind of a base car and then there might be like a limited edition and there might be like a sport edition and you, yeah, but you don't break it down. So applying this to kind of people's businesses, um, you know, that watch the show, like I know a friend of mine, they're working on a product right now. It's a fitness product. Okay. And they're debating whether they should have one product you know, that's like, here's the product, it's $200, this is what you get, versus a product that, okay, here's the product for $200, and then there's a light version for, I'm just making up the pricing here, but, but 97 or something like that, and then there's like an overachiever ver version that might be for 400 right? So you have the one option versus three options. You know, you've talked about in the book also about how cut, cutting, op uh, cutting choices can boost sales. You know, is there a magic number in there? It, because I've seen the seen people that have either one option or three options, but is there, is there any kind of magic number? Well, I think uh, that uh, that three option approach uh, has uh, uh, makes sense, particularly if uh, the middle option uh, is uh, profitable to the company and a desirable product to sell, uh, because the first one can be uh, sort of an entry level option with limited uh, limited features. Uh, people are going to want to upgrade in the in the same way. Uh, uh, I, I've been in restaurants where uh, say, well, there's the fish, uh, and that's uh, uh, ten dollars. Uh, and if you want the all you can eat, then it's $12. Uh, and although I try and avoid that all you can eat uh, uh, option, uh, that's very attractive to consumers because then suddenly they feel they have sort of unlimited access uh, for just a little bit more. And even if they don't justify the higher price with the exact quantity of uh, fish they've consumed, uh, it's still attractive. But uh, there's some work done with uh, uh, appliances uh, where uh, – it's called, uh, what I call at least a decoy marketing, where uh, a company that was selling, I believe it was bread makers actually, had two models, sort of a, 
uh, a good model and a very good model. Uh, and they were selling about 50% of each, half and half. Uh, they introduced uh, a super duper high-end model. Uh, and actually they didn't sell very many of that, but what they did find was that it greatly increased uh, the price, or the, the, I'm sorry, the sales of the middle of the road model, because now that became sort of a reasonable choice. It wasn't the high end, it wasn't the low end. Uh, it was just sort of a middle of the road conservative choice. Uh, so I think that uh, in the example that you just gave where they're selling a, a software product, uh, the same thing could apply. Uh, that high-end model may or may not sell very well, uh, but it sort of puts the um, uh, middle offering in a better context. Yeah, and, and is there, but is there a, a, a situation where you feel like once you go beyond three, you know, whether it's more than that, <laughs> whatever that number might be, 10, you know, you have the light, the medium, the large, the extra large, you have the triple, you know, you have too many options. Um, that obviously seems to be like that can take away choice and then people disappear and they're like, ah, this is too confusing for me. Right. Mm -hmm. is, there, is there a number that you, like, like would you want to stay, would you not want to go above three, usually in most cases? I, I, I mean, you know, we don't I want think, to create absolutes, but I'm saying. Right. Yeah, I, I think that it, it really depends on the product line because sometimes you simply need more choices because uh, the products are quite different, have very different features and so on. I think three is uh, uh, kind of one level of optimum. In fact, there was a, a study involving uh, JAM uh, done at Columbia University where uh, people were presented with uh, choices of different sorts of uh, fruit jams and jellies. Uh, and uh, in one case, uh, they had three choices uh, and there was a table where they could sample them and then uh, buy, you know, take a jar or more, one or more jars with them if they wanted. Uh, and then there was one where they had a couple of dozen choices with really great varieties. Now, uh, being a marketer, I'd say, wow, that would really be cool that I can have this sort of, uh, you know, cranberry pecan uh, flavor in there because somebody's going to really like that. They're going to, that's, right. those are going to be their two favorite things. In fact, what they found was that the people who had uh, the larger number of choices actually purchased uh, fewer total yeah. jars of jam. So uh, a three is a, a pretty nice number, uh, but uh, I think, uh, if, if you need more options than presenting them and, and really showing uh, the differences. So if, if you simply have to have these features, sort of maybe create subgroups if you can. But, uh, you know, if, if your printer has to have fax capabilities, then, okay, uh, here are the printers that have fax capabilities and have, uh, have those as uh, sort of a subset. Uh, because people will get uh, confused and they will uh, just sort of say, eh, I can't really decide and, and I'll, I'll think about it for a while and go away. And, and of course, uh, as a marketer, the last thing you want to do is have, have people go away to think about it some more. Right. And confused is not the word that you want people to walk away with, you know, for sure. Uh, so another concept that I thought was, was super interesting and different than a lot of things that I, I've seen, and I, I think we we're going to find this very interesting, is exploit the brute effect. Uh, exploit the brute effect. I thought this was a really cool idea, and of course, you're referring to the cologne, right? Yes. So, so tell us what that is, and, and maybe how we can apply something like that. Well, one of one of the most underutilized kinds of marketing is olfactory marketing, and of course, uh, for folks who market mainly on the web, uh, that's that's kind of a limited opportunity at the moment. We don't yet have uh, a smell vision for our uh, PCs or phones, but uh, uh, for businesses that have uh, some control over the environment, uh, uh, businesses like hotels, airlines, restaurants, uh, uh, and also those that make physical, physical products that can have uh, scents associated with them, uh, uh, they can exploit olfactory marketing. It's a very potent tool. Uh, a lot of 
uh, scientists believe that uh, olfactory cues uh, are about the shortest path to people's brains uh, as far as triggering emotions and memories uh, because they pretty much bypass conscious thought uh, entirely. Uh, and the, the brood effect referred to um, uh, sort of a scent uh, enhanced recall. And this wasn't a, um, a super scientific experiment, but it was done by uh, a guy named uh, John Medina who wrote a very good book called Brain Rules. Uh, and uh, he had two classes that were uh, where he taught the exact same subject. Uh, one class, uh, he just uh, had class every week. In the other class, uh, before class every week, he uh, sprayed a little bit of uh, brute cologne in the air. Uh, <laughs> and then for the final exam, he uh, also sprayed a little bit of cologne in the air uh, for everybody. And what he found was uh, that the class that had uh, been exposed to the brute all along uh, performed better on the test than the other class. Uh, and uh, he attributed that uh, to um, their memories being enhanced uh, by that scent. So there's nothing magic about uh, brute cologne, but uh, by evoking uh, that scent over and over again, uh, it actually uh, stimulated that memory. And, and certainly I've been uh, in environments that uh, you walk in the door and you get that sort of characteristic scent. Uh, uh, and there, there are some hotels, uh, actually Singapore Airlines is noted for uh, their amazing service uh, and environment. And right. one thing they do is uh, use uh, a signature scent everywhere. Yeah, and it reminds me of like, you know, uh here in St. Louis, uh, we, we sometimes like to take little staycations. We'll go down to the Four Seasons. They've got a, a great spa here, you know, and there's definitely that consistency. Anytime you walk in, I know what it's going to smell like, you know, yeah, and definitely. like other times where I've actually smelled it elsewhere, I immediately, or something similar, I'm like, I think I'm smelling the Four Seasons spa. You know what I mean? It's just funny how you can have that recall in your brain of how things definitely. are Definitely. It, it really, uh, it sort of bypasses conscious thought. That's awesome. All right, so I got two more I want to highlight here, um, and then we'll get into a takeaway, and I want to make sure everyone um, knows where they can get the book, all that kind of jazz, too, which should be pretty easy to find it. Uh, so uh, this one I've heard before, but I like your approach on it, um, is to create an enemy when it comes to your, your marketing or your business. So does this mean that we're going to war, or what are we talking about here when you said uh, create an enemy? Well, um, uh, a psychologist uh, named uh, uh, Tajfell discovered uh, that people could form into groups amazingly easily. In other words, he could take uh, a, a couple of groups of students uh, and with virtually no effort, pit them against each other and actually have them get emotionally engaged in the process to the point where they were cheering for their own people uh, and uh, being kind of uh, mean to the other people. And I think that uh, one uh, really amazing example of uh, this approach is uh, Apple, particularly in the early days when Apple was this uh, little underdog upstart company, right. and they kind of demonized uh, the uh, IBM uh, industry, the uh, PCs, uh, to the point where uh, they portrayed them uh, in the iconic 1984 commercial uh, as uh, these sort of uh, drones uh, listening to an uh, evil dictator. Uh, and then uh, in a less successful but uh, kind of similarly themed commercial a year later uh, in the Lemmings uh, uh, commercial where uh, these, again, sort of corporate drones and suits followed each other off a cliff. Uh, and uh, throughout, uh, Apple has really nurtured this uh, us and them approach where uh, their own people are always kind of cool and hip. And they, they continue that uh, uh, much later in their PC guy and Mac guy ads. Right. Uh, and the same thing where the uh, uh, the Apple uh, guy was always kind of 
kind of cool and uh, low key and hip and and of course the uh, uh, IBM PC was uh, stuffy and uh, right. uh, you know not not very uh, stuffy uh, nerdy not creative kind of old school right yeah definitely and and uh, they, this has been a consistent theme for years and it's really worked for them it make it a little bit tougher now that uh, perhaps they're becoming the empire themselves uh, but uh, nevertheless uh, I think that if you can uh, uh, nurture that within reason uh, and create uh, sort of an us and them scenario uh, for users of your product uh, that can really create a brand identity uh, and get people to bond with your company and your brand because everybody would like uh, their users to be like Apple users where not only do they like the product, uh, they go out and evangelize. Uh, if somebody says anything bad about the product, uh, they uh, jump all over them. Uh, you know, to the point where if you're not an Apple person, you find it kind of annoying. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we, we would all like our customers to be like Apple's. Right. You know, and it, it actually made me think of something that I did by accident. Um, I wish I could tell you that I was brilliant and came up with this and I knew about creating an enemy and all that kind of stuff. Did not at all. But one of my first business ventures, I think this is interesting for people to take away sort of how this can apply, was I was doing professional inline hockey the randomest thing you could possibly come up with here. So it was a grassroots pro inline hockey league on wheels in St. Louis where I'm from. And our accidental enemy, even though I love them, was the professional hockey team here, right? The St. Louis Blues. Because what I did was, and of course I love the Blues, we go to all the games, that's not the point, um, was that I would, when I was doing PR for the league and I was on TV or I was on radio or I was in magazines, I made sure to highlight the points of that we're not going to sell you a $15 hot dog and you get to bring the kids for free compared to the other professional leagues that are going on. You know, and so they became sort of the enemy, not that I was tearing into them, but I was saying, listen, you can go enjoy a hockey experience for $200 or $10, and I guarantee you the kids are going to have fun and get their, you know, their hot dogs. And I think that was, would you, would you say kind of an Definitely. accidental usage of the create an enemy? Yeah, situation? well, actually, um, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you don't show anybody this video, I would, if I were you, I would just take credit for the, uh, the brilliance of it and, and be done with it. Uh, don't, don't call take it an it. accident taking it but but again so so i think though that a good lesson there that you just pointed out is that you have kind of like the mortal when people hear the word enemy they're like mortal enemy of death but sometimes it just might be that you're kind of poking at something or or you're kind of you know really just kind of um I don't know what the word is. It's not that you're trying to destroy them. It's that you're comparing yourself uh, to put yourself in a better right. it's, light. It's, part, it's partly uh, team building for yourself. Uh, it's not just totally negative. It helps to have that negative focus sometimes to contrast uh, uh, what you're doing. But uh, really what you're, what you're trying to do uh, is build your following. Right, and rallying, getting people to rally around Definitely. that. So, all right, so final concept that I thought was a great one, and I think this would be an excellent takeaway um, for our listeners and viewers, is you talk about um, adjectives that work, you know, as opposed to ones that are soft and not, not working so well. Do you have some favorite ones? And this could be, obviously, in your, in your copy or, um, you know, in anything that you use, and I'm looking through, I mean, there were so many great ones. Do you have favorite words um, that, that kind of um, elicit this neuro, neuropsychological kind of um, subconscious? Right. Well, first of all, I guess um, I'd advertise, uh, I would uh, suggest using adjectives in advertising with a little bit of caution because they can slow down the reader. And sometimes uh, there's this tendency just to pad copy with more adjectives, uh, and it gets you away from the action verbs. But 
Uh, there uh, is research that shows the right kinds of adjectives used properly uh, can increase um, the engagement of the reader and uh, increase the positive perception of uh, what's being described. Uh, and I think that a couple, a few of the categories for those uh, are, first of all, very uh, vivid and sensory adjectives. So uh, when you see uh, on a menu uh, fresh cracked eggs, uh, that immediately uh, engages the uh, the senses uh, because it, you've got this uh, freshness going on, you've got the cracking that's kind of tactile and uh, auditory going on. So I think uh, uh, adjectives like that are good. Also, interestingly, something that uh, uh, most folks may not think of as being particularly engaging, but uh, uh, brands uh, are uh, very good adjectives. So that's why uh, if you go to a restaurant, uh, you may see uh, their barbecue is Jack Daniels barbecue. Mm, like uh, Fridays, uh, they do that at TGI Fridays. Exactly. It's Jack Daniels barbecue, right? Right, uh, and uh, that uh, itself carries better overtones than if they just said smoky, uh, tangy barbecue or something of that nature, uh, because uh, that brings with it uh, the sort of uh, branding emotional payload that Jack Daniels carries. And of course, uh, obviously it's gotta be a, a brand which people recognize and which they have positive feelings about, but uh, those are the kinds of adjectives uh, that can really uh, uh, engage the, uh, the brain. So I think that uh, uh, especially going for the uh, uh, sensor, because often when you're just reading ad copy, it can be kind of dry on the page. Right. Uh, uh, adding some sensory adjectives uh, can help engage those other senses. And there's actually, uh, if we uh, look at brain studies of people who are reading uh, or listening to a story uh, read to them, uh, there is an interesting test done that had um, people listen to uh, Hardy Boys, uh, which is kind of an ag- it was an action sequence where they're jumping and riding motorcycles and, and doing uh, various action type uh, things. Uh, what they found was that uh, their brains lit up as if they were performing some of those same actions when they ah. were hearing the words. So uh, that's that, that gets into the power of storytelling, which is a whole other topic, but also it gets into that sort of sensory approach uh, that you can light up uh, brains, uh, people's brains with those words uh, if, they, if they're the right words. Uh, very cool. Yeah, and, and, and again, it, it, to me, it just screams like paint a picture. You know, paint a picture that's emotional that people can relate to um, because I think your menu example was awesome, you know, because I remember that there's menus where it's like eggs, toast, bacon, and then there's menus where it's like, you know, farm fresh, you know, Louisiana-based eggs with, you know, special, I don't know, I'm terrible at obviously describing a menu, but I I just remember that it just definitely elicits different emotions. So, um, Roger, this has been super interesting. Again, the the book is Brainfluence. People can get it everywhere. I want to thank you for the time today. Oh, I didn't even notice. Brian Clark's on the back of the book. Good good buddy of the show here. Um, So uh, I want to encourage people to pick that up. What as we wrap up here, Roger? What is like the number? Like, if you were hoping that people take away one big concept or you know just giant thing from this book, what are you hoping that they walk out and they say, okay, this this is the bit the big big takeaway? Uh, I think the uh, overwhelming takeaway is that you have to uh, appeal to all of a person's brain. Uh, have your features, have your benefits but you've got to really uh, appeal to the emotions and subconscious preferences uh, that are in everybody's brain. And uh, if you do that, uh, combining that with the right product at the right price and so on, you can't ignore the rest of the stuff, that's all very important, uh, then you can really maximize your revenue.
All right. Well, awesome, Roger. Well, good luck with everything. The book is great. Um, I'm going to link it up below in the show notes. And, and good luck with everything. And we, we might have to have you. We might have to have you back at some point and tell more of those stories about how you built your companies as well, because I, I was fascinated by that, and I think that could be a whole other interview. So we, thank we can you. Can do a community building session next. Oh, thanks a lot, David. I really had a good time. All right. This is Roger Julie on the Rise Hub. All that stuff is linked up below. I will see you next time. I'm David Seitman Garland. And remember, if you want some fluff, you know what to do. Go pet a bunny. All right, and a big thanks to uh, Roger once again for coming on the show. I, I hope that was super interesting for you. Learn some cool stuff and things that you can apply and all that jazz, all that jazz. All right, so uh, make sure to pick up his book, Brainfluence, as well. Uh, and one more quick shout-out to our good friends at GoToMyPC by Citrix Online. They're the sponsors. They're the ones that uh, allow this show to be 100% free. And you're supporting the Rise to Top as well with an incredible quality product. Now you can access your computer from anywhere. iPad, iPhone, Pony Express. Well, maybe not the Pony Express, but whatever. You get the idea. So here's what you got to do. You want to try Go to My PC free. Download the apps. Those are free in the App Store for iPad or iPhone. And then enter the promo code RISE when you go to Go to My PC. Click the Try It Free button. You're going to get 45 days free for free on me. See you next time.